It's really bad. I'm trying to not do that into the microphone. It's going to sneak up on me here in a minute. All right, if you have your Bibles, thank you for coming out. Hey, it's a good crowd for Sunday night. Thank you all for being here. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. In verse 13 through 16. 13 through 16. Okay? And we have to stand in honor of God's word because we didn't do that on Sunday nights for a while and one of our kids came and confronted me and wanted to know why we stood on Sunday mornings and we didn't on Sunday nights. So... Having been duly chastised, please stand in honor of God's word. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this word would reach deep into our hearts and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a pretty um, common passage of Scripture, well, pretty well-known passage of Scripture. It's important that we don't take it all by itself. Without the verses that precede it, this passage of Scripture doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This passage of Scripture must be taken in the context in which it was written. And it's written on the back end of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, Beatitudes, the Beatitudes are sort of a manifesto for Christian living. They, they, if we were to try to summarize the Christian life into a few short statements, uh, so much of how it is that we are to live in this world is wrapped up in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. And, and it's ultimately what we get to in, in verses 13 through 16 is that if we put into practice those kingdom principles that Jesus has outlined in the previous verses, then we will be as salt and light in the world. Now we're going to wrestle into some of those aspects of salt and light but before we get into the details, I have a helper tonight who's going to give me a little bit of help with the light part, okay? So I told Sloan this morning he could help with my sermon because I was just talking out of turn and Sloan didn't forget. So daddy's going to be good to his word tonight. All right. So and we can talk about salt. We're going to come back and talk about salt in a minute, but we're going to go ahead and talk about light tonight before Sloan absolutely loses it. Because he's pretty excited about it. What do you have in your hand? You've got you to talk up here beside me so people will be able to hear you in the microphone. What do you have in your hand? Look out there. Look, you know all these people. These are your friends. What is that? Uh, you're not going to help me? What do you have? What is that? Is that a rock? It's not a rock. Is it Play-Doh? Is it a Lego? Is it a candle? It's a candle. Good job. Okay, and what does a candle do? We practice this. What's it do? Say it loud so people can hear you. Light. It gives light. Yeah. There, you throw it. there you go. It gives light. How, do we, how does it give light? What do we do to it? Do we put it under water? No. Fire only burns under water on the little mermaid. What do we do with it? Do we light it? 
What do we use? Okay. And once we light it, fire. That's right. And once we light it, how could we get it to give off light to a whole room? Water. Not water. What did you show me you need to do so people could see the candle? That's right. We could hold it up high. And if we hold it up high in a dark room, then people would be able to see it. And people would be drawn to that light. Isn't that right? Okay. Good job. Thanks for helping me. Go sit down with Mommy back there. All right. So as we think about what it means to be salt and light in the world... Thank you all for indulging. As we think about what it means to be salt and light in the world, um, ultimately this, this passage of Scripture carries with the idea that we're going to sandwich the gospel message. Okay, Now, salt is something that we take for granted. This is a whole book written about salt. Y'all are impressed with that, didn't you? I know. I didn't buy this book. Sarah Maliski gave me this book a number of years ago. She had to read it for school. She said, this is awful. You're the only person I could think of that might appreciate it here. Um, and I said, thanks, sweetie. That's such a kind word. Salt, A World History by Mark Kurlansky. Um, I don't think I've read this one cover to cover, but... Um, let me just read the back cover. Some things we take salt for granted. Until about 100 years ago, when modern geology revealed its prevalence, salt was one of the world's most sought-after commodities, a substance so valuable it served as currency. Salt has influenced the establishment of trade routes in cities, provoked and financed wars, secured empires, and inspired revolutions. Salt. People have been paid in salt. When someone is said to not be worth their salt, okay, Understand, they're not talking about that 99-cent box that you pick up at the grocery store. We're talking about something that goes a lot further back and cares about the understanding of, 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 of real financial worth. So you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt in the ancient world, y'all have all heard all this. Salt in the ancient world was used as a preservative. Uh, even as some of you, any of you still could, re- can you still remember salt-curing hams yourself? A few of you out there. Oh, and there's right there, Trey. Way to bring in the younger crowd. I appreciate that. So, some of you have actually done that. Salt is a preservative. In the ancient world, it would have been basically the only preservative uh, that would have been used on a consistent basis, especially in the Mediterranean world where fish was a primary staple. They're going to salt cure fish. And if you've ever eaten salted fish, it is awful. I mean, it is hard to eat. Just You can't drink enough water to go with something like that. Um, But salt was important to preserve. We generally think of salt as a flavor enhancer, and no doubt in the ancient world it would have been used to that for that to some degree, but by and large it was a preservative. It was necessary. We have so much salt today that we've created salt substitutes because so many of us eat too much salt. Think about that. We're going to come back to it in a minute. But in the ancient world, salt um, was a preservative. And Jesus says to his people, you are the salt of the world. We are to live as a preservative in the world around us. Our presence in the world as we live out. Now, now how do we do that? Just by mowing our lawns the right way? No. Remember, context matters. As we live out the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in the spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. 
when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says that as you live in that kind of life, in that kind of mindset, as he's outlined in the Beatitudes, you become salt in the world, right? You become that preserving aspect, okay? He goes on and he says, and you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket. Just like the salt metaphor, we don't really appreciate the light metaphor. Why? Because just like salt, we have so much light. Salt today is not a rare commodity. It is a problem in most people's lives. There is so much light today that people are routinely now speaking of light pollution. Right? Now, the most common place that most of you would be aware of would be on the beaches. Why are lights a problem on the beaches? Because as those little sea turtles come up out of the water... Some of you from the middle parts of the world, y'all don't understand this, so just pay attention. The Tennessee people, the hills, y'all don't get it, I know, but just listen. The little sea turtles, they come up out of the water. And when they hatch in the sand, so they lay their eggs in the sand, and when they hatch there, they follow the moonlight back into the water, and they swim away. But with, with artificial light, if the artificial light is there, especially on a cloudy night, but it doesn't even have to be that because the lights are so bright, it actually drowns out the light of the moon. The little sea turtles get confused and they don't swim out to sea. They crawl up into a, a road somewhere and they, they get squished, which is a problem. Now that's one form of light pollution. I've got another book to tell you about. I looked it up just so I wouldn't forget the name of it. A guy named Paul Bogard has written a book called The End of Night, Searching for Natural Darkness in an Age of Artificial Light. There's only two or three places in all of the continental United States today where a person could experience total darkness. That means a place where you could go and you could be so far out in the middle of nowhere that there is literally nowhere that you could look and see artificial light. Now, when we talk about light pollution, some of you rolled your eyes, I saw it. I mean, I saw it. Because y'all thought, oh, here come the PETA people. You know what they're talking about, the problem with light pollution? Certainly, it affects animals. Part of the problem they're talking about with light pollution is how it affects us. Because our worlds are so alive with light today, artificial light, we lose the regular rhythms of life and we lose out and miss out on good sleep. We don't have the opportunities. Also, now again, I've not studied this myself, but I'm just going to go off of what others have said and the things that they've written. Artificial light gives us a false sense of security about the world around us. So as, for instance, cities spend millions and millions of dollars lighting freeways and, and roads so they will be safer, according to some, at least, there is... No verifiable difference in safety between a lighted road and an unlighted road. Why do we do it? For the perception of safety. Okay? Um, even some who argue that homes are not necessarily safer from intrusion or otherwise as a result of artificial light in, on the exterior of the house. 
Why do we do it? The perception of safety. But regardless, the, 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 the metaphor loses so much of its impact because I'm going to show you something. This is my favorite thing about this building. One switch and all the lights go off. Scott, turn those off. Make it look good for me. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. What are you doing, man? One, sw one switch and all the lights go off. And then with just one switch, Scott Taylor, did you... Now, you messing with me in the sound booth. That ain't right. That ain't right. With just one switch, all the house lights come back on. We are spoiled. We're not just spoiled when we walk into a room. Do you understand that until 10 years ago, that was not even a reality that could happen anywhere? Okay? I might be exaggerating. It might be 20 years ago. But the reality is, until the advent of LED lights... We couldn't have a single switch that looked like that that could handle the necessary load to accomplish that purpose. We are spoiled. How many light switches were in the old building? I have no idea. And when we turned on those, those chandeliers up there, there was this giant rheostat that hummed every time it came on. Terrified me. Okay, what does that have to do with salt and light in the world? This parable, or not really a parable, this metaphor is incredibly powerful in the ancient world, but it loses some of its power today because the things that Jesus speaks of are not rare commodities for us. They're everyday conveniences. If we're not careful, the conveniences in our life can blind us to the realities of the gospel. Now, what we have in this parable, I believe, this metaphor, I believe, is a sandwich with the gospel. And what Jesus urges first is that we live lives that are consistent with kingdom principles and in so doing that we impact the culture around us, okay? That we live out the Beatitudes as the salt of the world. We live lives that are consistent with the gospel proclamation of Jesus and with the teachings of Christ. And in so doing, we earn the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. In so doing, we actually engage and impact the world around us. Our world should be different because we're living in it. You understand? Our world should be different because we're living in it. The only way I know personally to describe that is when you are a pastor, conversations change. When you are a pastor, conversations change. Now, it does occasionally happen even within the walls of the church building where I walk up and all of a sudden everybody goes, oh, hey. And there's this awkward silence as everybody tries to figure out what they should talk about now because whatever they were talking about, they've decided is not appropriate. It happens a lot like, like in my gym or in places where when I'm, I meet people for the first time. Oh, you're a pastor. Hi, um, I'd love it if you'd pray for me. I've been looking for a church home now that you mention it. Well, that's a little strange, but the reality is that as God's children, as people of Christ, the world around us should be different because of our presence in it. The world around us should notice something different about us. Now, when we begin to talk about that, a lot of people kind of react strongly. No, the gospel is proclamation. Yes, but before we get there, the gospel needs to be incarnational. we got to live among people with the hands and the feet of Jesus. 
live as different people in the world. The world should be looking at us and saying, why do you behave the way that you behave? Why? Okay, so the first thing we see right here is that we are living intentionally in our culture with the desire to preserve it. The second thing in here, though, is a gospel proclamation. So this sandwich here, first is we're going to invade the culture with the preserving aspects of living Christ-like lives. I mean, how different is the world around us when we are poor in spirit, when we mourn, uh, when we seek out comfort? How different is the world when we are meek, when the world around us is arrogant? How different is the world around us when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, when the world around us seems to be hungering and thirsting for everything other than righteousness? How different does our world begin to look if God's people would rise up and be merciful even to those who do not show them mercy? How different does the world look if God's people are pure in heart even in a crooked and depraved generation? Right? So that's, there's the salt aspect. That one little bit at a time, as we live among people with struggles and strife, as we live among people who refuse to honor Christ, we begin to, to, to pre, we, we work to preserve the culture. Okay? But then there's this aspect of light of the world. The, you are the light of the world. A city sitting on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a lamp, uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but it gives light to all who are in the house. So in that same way, let your light shine before others. This, I think, is the proclamational aspect of the gospel. We need to light lights that draw people in. But understand, we're not just seeking to do things so they come to us. We are intentionally setting out lights for the world around us. Okay? These are not artificial lights. These are gospel lights. Our desire is to be the artificial gospel light in a world where the light is constantly drawing people to drown in the ocean instead drawing them away from the ocean and drawing them into the love of Christ. We've got to be the people who are on the hill who are proclaiming warnings. We are the lighthouse. Y'all, there is no missions without a gospel proclamation. There is no evangelism without a gospel proclamation. We must live as the people of God, as salt and light in the world. But can I just tell you that we are not being the light of the world unless we have exposed people to the light of the world. We have to open our mouths. The concept of light pollution is a very good one for us to wrestle through. Because we live in a world with so many lights drawing people toward them that people don't have a clue where in the world they should go. We've got to direct them. We've got to show them not only the light of the gospel, but there's got to be the life that backs up the light of the gospel. You understand? We've got to let them see that when they get near this light of Jesus, that it's not the bug light that zaps them. Instead, it's the life light that gives them hope. I love bug zappers. I mean, but they're, they're just cruel. I mean, when you think about it, they're absolutely cruel. You take that which is most appealing to a bug and you electrify it. The world is filled with zappers for people. 
I know it's kind of corny. Just work with it. But it's filled with that, isn't it? Those lights that appeal to the lusts of the flesh and draw people in, but once they get them in, there is no escape. It's like Hotel California. You can check out any time you like, but you can never, ever leave. And that's the truths of the entrapment of sin. We've got to live lives to help people to see as we proclaim the gospel that what happens when they come to this gospel light, that they see lives that are transformed and different. So that's the salt of the world and the light as we seek to draw people in. But then we get the, 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 the sandwich part. If you want sandwich, you can call it an Oreo if you prefer that. But the reality is there's three parts here. There's living the gospel, there's proclaiming the gospel, and then we sandwich it again with the living of the gospel. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Y'all, we don't live lives of godliness and of good rapport with the hope and the intent of opening the door for evangelism, then proclaim the gospel message and then throw the baby out with the bathwater. The job of honoring Christ is not finished when you have proclaimed him the job of honoring christ is finished when he takes you home with him in glory and then you will honor him for all of eternity we've got to be the light of the world not only calling individuals to salvation we got to be the prophetic light of the world casting casting vision to the world where they can see the the cultural sins of the world and to be transformed and changed. We look at all kinds of incredible things that have happened across the world and through the centuries. It's been the people of God who have been at the forefront of those movements. Slavery was abolished because the people of God rose up and saw the problem. And men like William William Wilberforce got involved in the process and made a difference. We see these things take place as God's people continue to live lives that are shaped and transformed by the gospel. Now, we get into problems because people like to create this, these, these, um, these divisions. You can either be evangelical and, and proclaim the gospel, or you can sort of live the gospel, but somehow or other the twain shall never meet. And that's just not true. We've got to be gospel people through and through. If people prick us, we've got to bleed the gospel. God's word needs to flow from us. And it needs to be a part of our regular conversation, but it must also alter every aspect of our lives. What's it look like to be salt and light in the world? It looks like doing everything we can to live as Jesus did so that the world around us is not near as bad as it could be. We want to make sure that if the whole barrel of apples is rotten except one, we're that one. We want to make sure that as people are sorting through all the rottenness and the dirtiness of the world, that they can find one. Just as Noah was a righteous man in his generation, we need to seek to be the Noahs in our small little parts of the world if there is no one else. But don't miss this. Noah was not just a righteous man in his generation. He was also a preacher boldly proclaiming the gospel with the largest, grandest, most long-lasting sermon illustration in the history of mankind. 
Moses, why are you building a boat? There's a flood coming. Moses, why are you building a boat? There's a flood coming. Am I saying, is, am I saying Moses? It was Noah. Noah built the ark. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I know the Bible. I read it. <laughs> What's funny is, is, is a long story talking with a guy who's trying to confront some false teaching. And, and this false teacher said, don't come to me unless you've read the Bible through and through at least 13 times. I was like, oh, well, have you read the Bible 13? Okay, well, anyway, that's what we think about. But Noah builds this giant ark. Day after day, Noah, what are you doing? Building a boat. Why? There's a flood coming. And day after day, they mocked him. They laughed at him. They ridiculed him until the rain came. Y'all, living as lights for Christ in the world doesn't mean that the world's going to rise up and call us blessed. It doesn't. That's why the way of Jesus is, is not the way of power it's not the way of, of, of politics. It's the way of sacrifice and diligent pursuit of holiness. So we do the good deeds. We proclaim the gospel. And then we allow that gospel to continue to shape and mold us so that we continue to do those good deeds that honor Christ. Why? Don't miss it. so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen to me. We live in a world that is in active rejection of Jesus. I'm not naive. I don't believe that I'm going to go out there and sweep the street today and suddenly multitudes of people are going to come out and go, Wow, Craig, <laughs> praise the Lord for the street sweeper that you are. I don't believe that I'm going to go volunteer at an elementary school and, and, and suddenly today people are going to rise up and praise the Lord because of that work. They might. God can work through that now. They might. But here's what I do know. I know that even if they don't praise Him today, that the day will come when He returns and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And in that day, they will give praise and glory and honor to the King who has been working to set the world right. So what's it look like to be salt and light in the world? We work to preserve the world that seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. We're the anchors that are trying to hold it back as it works to launch headlong into sin and rebellion. We're the prophets and the preachers who are continuing to proclaim the good news and give the warnings. We've got to do it. That's where my heartbreak is for the American church today. We've lost our prophetic voice. Let me back up. We have willingly relinquished our prophetic voice. It's not been taken from us. We gave it away. We got comfortable. There's so much salt and light that we didn't see the need to cling closely to Christ. So we've got to honor Him with our lives, with the salt preserving, the gospel light proclaiming 
and warning. And then finally, when it seems like all is lost, we don't give up. We continue to move forward trying to see the gospel bring about wholesale change in our culture. But just to finish, we don't start with a desire to bring wholesale change. We start one on one, one at a time, living the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and then working to continue to live it in bigger and more powerful ways. Salt and light in the world. We can write whole books about salt because it's powerful throughout the history of the world. But heaven forbid people know the entire history of the salt, of salt, and not know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be found as salt in our world and light bringing people in. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to be salt and light in the world around us. Preserving, proclaiming, warning, urging, drawing. Lord God, and continuing to live lives that are saturated by the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for coming out tonight.